Hello, my friends. Welcome to Deeper Than Dating, the best place for singles to uplevel their lives and take advantage of their single time. I'm your host, Sarah Mack, breakup and relationship coach, and I'm here to guide you to uplevel and upgrade your single life by building a deeper connection with yourself. I'm on a mission to help millennials take advantage of their single time so they can get over their past, stop settling in life, attract better relationships, and have fun while being single. On Deeper Than Dating, we will explore topics of self-development, psychology of love, relationships, and breakups, mindset, spirituality, and manifestation in order to deepen the relationship with ourselves, which is truly the secret to deeper dating. Whether you find yourself still trying to get over your ex, questioning all your relationship decisions, desiring a more fulfilling single life, or chasing your next relationship, this is the place to be. It doesn't matter where you're at in your journey because the answer will be the same. Dig deeper into your connection with yourself in order to attract a better life and level up. It's not about dating. It's not about the breakup. It's not about your future. It's always deeper. Let's dive in. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Deeper Than Dating. I am beyond excited for this episode because we are talking with another relationship coach, Carissa Stepp. Carissa is a relationship and human design coach who helps women rebuild relationships that feel deeply fulfilling by ditching the people-pleasing. And hot off the press, she just told me, Carissa is now an international best-selling author with her new book, Women Living in Alignment. So she'll talk more about that at the end, and she already told me about it. I'm going to go get it right after this call. Today, we're going to be talking about people-pleasing, breaking codependency patterns, and a little bit of human design and manifesting, which is which are all my favorite topics. So welcome, Carissa, to the show. Thank you so much for having me here. Of course. And I know she sent me over a list of topics that we could talk about. I told her I want to talk about all of them, but we might be here for two hours. So we'll get to a few today. So can you first tell our listeners a bit about yourself and what you do and how you got to what you are currently practicing today? Sure. Um, so, yep, my name is Carissa. I live on the East Coast in the United States in New Jersey. I am a mom to two boys, and um, I actually first started my career in finance, so working on Wall Street in the hedge fund industry, and I did that for over 10 years. And during that 10 years, I really kind of struggled with feeling like I wasn't helping people. And it took me a long time to figure out how I could actually do that. Um, becoming a mother, you know, at one point felt very fulfilling. And I felt like I was actually helping people like my two little children. Um, but once they started getting older and going to school full time, I just sort of felt kind of lost. I felt like I didn't have any purpose or meaning in my life. And it wasn't until actually, this is probably about three or four years ago at this point, um, I started um, going on this like self-development journey of trying to understand, you know, who I even was, which was kind of late. I mean, I was like in my late thirties, early forties at the time. And it was like, you know, who am I and how do I not know who I am at this point? It was a big shock, you know, kind of like this 
basically like an awakening experience. And so I had in my desperate attempt to figure out my purpose and meaning had booked a call with an intuitive or as other people might know as a psychic. Um, and in this actual call, this woman was like, I don't know why I'm feeling called to tell you, but you need to look into this thing called human design. And she's like, I know nothing about it. I recently only just heard about it, but they're telling me you need to you know, spend some time understanding what this is. So of course I immediately got off the call and I went to my Google search bar on my phone in Safari and I just Googled human design and I very quickly fell down this rabbit hole. And the beautiful thing about human design, and I know we're going to talk about this a little bit more later, is that it's this wonderful, you know, self-discovery tool that helped me reconnect back with who I was. And through the lens of human design, I was able to uncover what my natural talents and gifts were um, because I really didn't know what I was good at. I kind of knew by what people would tell me, but it didn't really, it never really resonated. I couldn't understand. And what I realized was I was very good at identifying patterns and looking back on my own life and understanding like how certain patterns had played out in my life, which patterns had to be disrupted or tweaked or changed in order for me to kind of realign back with my higher purpose and to get back into alignment with who I am. And so um, through human design, I realized like, you know, I really want to coach people. I want to share this with people. And I've always had a big interest and I've always found that friends had come to me asking me for relationship advice. And I was like, this is kind of the focus I want to take. Um, while I was studying human design, I actually was a matchmaker for about two years. And so in the matchmaking world, you know, you are dealing with people trying to help them find, you know, their partner in life. And you get to know your clients really well. You get very good at screening other people and trying to understand who they are so that you can identify whether or not they're a good match for the client. And I started noticing that my clients were, again, attracted to the same type of person kind of over and over again, or they were looking to fill a void or a hole that was in their lives that never got fulfilled. And so, you know, from a date coaching perspective, you know, you can coach somebody on how to be on a date and how to behave on a date and how to make the date go smoothly and how to create chemistry and all that kind of stuff. But I really wanted to go much deeper with them to kind of walk them through like, okay, like we need to do some healing on you first so that you can align and find the partner that is meant for you. Mm. Absolutely. That's what I'm all about. I feel like as I, I see all these other date coaches that are teaching how to people how to have a first date, how to text back. And for me, I'm like, God, it's so much deeper than that. It's so much deeper. So how do you start working with your clients to really start building that deeper relationship with themselves so that they can show up and attract differently and yeah, show up differently in their future relationships? So I, oftentimes clients will come to me because um, they feel like something's off, right? They feel like they're stuck in some way. And so it could be that, you know, they're stuck and they're not meeting the right type of person, right? They just have kind of like churning through relationships. Mm -hmm. Other people come to me because they feel like they're struggling or they're stuck in like their marriage, right? Where they feel like them, their partner, you know, they and their partner are kind of disconnecting from one another and they can't understand what's going on and why it's not working and, and what needs to be fixed. And then I have other people that come to me where literally like they're just struggling in life to find purpose and meaning. And so it's often, you know, very interesting how when you help reconnect somebody back to themselves, 
who they truly are and help them identify what that purpose or meaning is, it kind of fills these holes where, you know, instead of searching the world around us to try and find something that can plug in to fill that hole or that person or that relationship, you know, they're able to, you know, now feel fulfilled within themselves, which makes such a difference in who you're going to attract into your life. It does. And, and the, my last comment, I was saying it's so much deeper and I realized, oh, that's how I came up with deeper than dating the name of the show, because I want to explore these topics. It's so fascinating. So what can the, the listeners do if someone is single and they want to find this purpose, they want to really ignite something within themselves. How could they start this weekend? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, First, you know, I would really spend some time making sure you know who you are, right? Um, So a lot of my clients come to me because they're people pleasers. And, you know, I don't want to like shift tracks here, but I'm going to kind of start talking a little bit about this, which I think it's important, Um, especially for women, right? We kind of grow up thinking that we have to be the good girl, that we have to behave a certain way, that we need to be polite all the time. Um, You know, we're not here to show our anger in any way because that's, you know, unattractive or that's not ladylike. And so oftentimes we kind of get pulled away through our conditioning from who we really and truly are because we are afraid, but we don't feel safe being who we are. Mm -hmm. Our deepest core, you know, wound, I would say, or fear is this fear of rejection. And so when you live your life with this fear of rejection and you learn at an early age that it's not safe to be you because you have to meet the expectations of everybody else, right? Or be the way everyone else, you know, wants you to be in order to be accepted by them, then you really get away from your true authenticity. You don't speak your truth. You don't know what you, you know, you may not even know what you need um, or you you have a hard time even understanding what your needs might be because you haven't ever had the courage maybe to even ask for it, right? That fear of if I ask for what I need, I'm going to feel like a burden or they're going to think I'm a burden or I'm imposing on them. I'm imposing on them and I'm going to push them away. You know, they're going to think I'm too much or um, I'm high maintenance, right? How many times do we hear that word? Like women are high maintenance. Mm -hmm. And so um, it's really important that you spend some time just like, you know, getting to know like what it is that you like, what it is that you want. um, What is it that you're good at? What are your flaws? I think even being aware of what your flaws are and then reframing them into actual strengths is so empowering. And I think a lot of us going to get lost a lot of times in this like negative thought spiral of like, I'm not this, I'm not that, or I'm not good enough. I'm not pretty enough. I'm not thin enough. You know, I... I don't have enough. I'm not smart enough, right? We have these like negative and limiting beliefs that are holding us back. And so you can't really heal or fix anything that you're not already aware of, that you're not able to acknowledge and that you're not willing to accept first. Mm -hmm. So how, what if someone isn't aware of people pleasing, how could they start to identify this within themselves and then maybe how it's shown up in their relationships? Yep. So I guess we could talk about the symptoms of people pleasing. And, you know, oftentimes it's like, if you feel like you have a hard time saying no to people, right? So people constantly are asking you to help them with something or to do something for them. And you find yourself feeling guilty or feeling bad for saying no, then oftentimes it's like, you're kind of getting into that people pleasing routine. Um, If you don't have, if you're really bad at setting boundaries, if you have a hard time 
setting boundaries. You feel bad setting boundaries. You know, that's another kind of sign because people pleasers are really bad at setting boundaries and holding them. So sometimes they'll try to set a boundary and then someone will be like, what are you doing? Like, what do you mean? You're always there for me. You always help out. Like, you know, you're always, you know, the one that I can lean on and depend on and you get guilted into saying yes, or, you know, compromising that boundary, you know, that's another sign. Um, if you find yourself just like, you know, overcommitted and depleted, that's a sign that you are saying yes to too many things. If you are putting everyone else's needs ahead of your own. So at the end of the day, you have no time to do the things that you want to do, or you're not taking good care of your health, you know, your wealth, (laughs) um, you know, your time and your energy, like then you're, you're obviously, you know, probably, doing things you shouldn't be doing all the time because you need to, when you are giving to other people, you need to do it from the overflow of your cup, not depleting yourself to do that. So if you're giving more than what you have to meet other people's needs, then you're getting into people pleasing again as well. So those are just a few of the signs. And these can show up, not just romantic relationships, any relationships. So how do you work with people to really start changing this behavior? It's first awareness and then And then what? Yep. That's a good question. So yes, first it's awareness. Um, So it's understanding what the patterns are. It's identifying and um, crushing basically the limiting beliefs that go around that, right? Because ultimately at the end of the day, like the limiting beliefs that a people pleaser holds or has in their subconscious programming. And I I don't want to get into the subconscious mind versus the conscious mind because that could be a whole other conversation. But, you know, our subconscious mind actually controls about 95 to 99% of our thoughts, our actions, our responses, reactions, all that to other people. So, you know, if in your subconscious mind, you believe that you're not good enough or you don't feel worthy of, say, someone else's love unless you are working for it or you are giving first, right? You have to give in order to receive. Um, So taking those limiting beliefs and reframing them and understanding that like those limiting beliefs need to go, right? We need to rewrite those limiting beliefs. And in my coaching practice, I have modalities and tools in which, you know, we use to kind of do that, that are very effective. So it's that it's also, um, you know, coming back to a place of understanding how to set those boundaries, right? So understanding what's a healthy boundary, what's an unhealthy boundary. You know, there's boundaries around, say, your time, your energy, your resources, Um, you know, even, you know, there's all different kinds. There's like seven different types of boundaries, right? So we talk, you know, a lot of, we can talk a lot about that and then how to set them and maintain them. Um, And then we kind of lead more into um, things like um, self-acceptance, Right. So we need to be able to come to a place where we fully accept who we are, because once we can accept who we are and fully love who we are and understand that we have, you know, that we are worthy uh, and we are deserving of love and attention and recognition and all these other things. You know, if we can accept who we are, the good, the bad and the ugly, we are going to no longer seek the approval, the validation, the acceptance of other people because now we're doing that for ourselves. So mm-hmm. instead of looking for someone else to fill those voids or to show us that we're worthy, right? Through their love, returned love, you know, then we can get into a place where we're coming from a place of being whole, right? And we're not looking for someone to complete us. We're looking for someone to compliment us. Mm-hmm. 
And then there's also this element of self-trust, right? Because as people pleasers, sometimes we often um, start to lose connection with whether or not we trust ourselves to make good decisions for who we are. We tend to rely on, um, you know, we won't get into a confrontation or an argument and speak our truth and share how we feel, you know, nor will we um, rely on, you know, if I ask you, for example, like, you know, what do you want for dinner tonight? Your partner or the person you're dating or your friend or your colleague, or whatever, be like, oh, well, I was thinking this. What do you think? A people pleaser most likely is going to go along with that, even if that's not really something that they want. Right. So being able to trust that it's okay <laughs> to say how you feel, even if it's different than what someone else says or what, what someone else believes or what someone else wants, you know, that's super important too. So mm -hmm. those are some of like the foundational blocks in which I work with clients and what I think is really important for your listeners to kind of get a good handle on if this is something that, um, if this is a behavioral pattern that they are exhibiting in their lives. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it sounds like it's really getting clear on what your needs are. What do you need in life? What do you need in a relationship? What do you desire? And building that trust to speak up, to speak up for your needs and to put boundaries up so that people aren't taking advantage of you or your energy doesn't get drained. I think what you said about self-trust is huge. Like building that there's so many people that don't have that trust within themselves. So how could we build, how can we yeah, build that trust with ourselves so that we're like a solid rock inside where we know we can stand strong with what anything that comes along? Mm -hmm. It's a good question. So something that I often have clients do, it's like keeping a journal because your mind wants evidence that it can trust itself, right? So even if it's mm -hmm. something as simple as, you know, I decided today that I'm going to do this, this, and this, right? And that was maybe a big leap for you. We were like, I'm not sure. I'm doubting myself. I don't know if this is going to go well. Like, you know, I don't know that I am capable of doing this. And I don't know that, you know, I'm smart enough to do this, whatever it might be. And then recording kind of like what the conclusion of that is. How did that event turn out? How did that um, opportunity that maybe you went after, how did that go? And proving to yourself that it's okay that you can make good decisions for yourself. Or, you know, start simply now saying no to the things you don't want to do. Okay. Mm -hmm. And human design is really helpful for this because human design gives you a lots of information. But one of the things that they get that it tells you is what your authority is. So what your authority is, is it tells you how to make decisions for yourself that are aligned for you. So knowing like if you are, say, a generator type, like what lights up your your sacral, right? What lights up? What's that? full bodied yes that you really want to do. When someone's asking you if you want this opportunity or if you want to go out on a date with them or whatever it might be and you feel this full body yes, then go with it. If you feel a contraction and you're like, "Ooh, like uh, red flags are going off or you're like, oh, I don't feel this. It's like feels really uncomfortable in my body." Then it's like, "Okay, respect the no." say no to the person. And then the more you say no to the things you don't want to do, you're building up that trust for yourself now too, because now you're speaking your truth, mm -hmm. right? And when you're speaking your truth, you can then trust yourself 
because now you know it's safe to do that. And it's so empowering. Once you start this work and you prove to yourself that you are capable of of saying no, you are capable of holding your ground and speaking your truth, that is the most empowering and liberating feeling. And then it just gets that momentum going to keep doing more. You want to you want to keep proving to yourself that you you can do this. And that's what the growth is. And I love what you said about just keeping a journal. That's pretty much my answer to everything. When someone asks me, how do I do this work? I say, write it down, write it down. I have a notes app on my phone. Anytime I get a trigger, anytime I get a test where I feel like I've been had some sort of emotional trigger that I needed to work through, I as small as it is, I'll write it down. So I love that you said that. It's so simple. It's so simple. And I love that because yes, like I believe, well, and it's true. Our relationships are our, our um, greatest opportunities to learn and rediscover who we truly are. And it is through those things, like what we are being triggered in, in our relationships, because oftentimes mm-hmm. it's not anything that the person, it's not that the person actually did something malicious or with any malintent. It's more often it's our response is highlighting for us that we need to go deeper into what's actually really going on below the surface because we are responsible for how we react to other Mm -hmm. people. And it's our perceptions that maybe need to change. And that's kind of where these sponsoring thoughts or these sponsoring beliefs come in, right? These limiting beliefs because our beliefs are what sponsor our behaviors in the world. Mm -hmm. So important. And every single thing showing up is a mirror and an opportunity for us to show us where we still need to work and heal and grow. And like you said, it's not just the plug and play of the right relationship. It's like becoming the per- your whole authentic person in, your, in all of your worth. And that's yes. how you do it through examining these triggers and other any relationship. I always have my clients look at their past relationships, write down, you know, what, how they showed up, what they liked, didn't like. It's like being the investigator of, of your love life. So if someone, let's say people are starting to date and this is such a great opportunity to start practicing. Like if you're in the dating scene and I think it can be easy to ignore these practices because you might start to really like someone And so you might just throw this stuff out the window because you're like, I like them. I want to keep hanging out with them. We get that dopamine hit. It's always dopamine's fault. How can people really stand strong in navigating this, the dating world so that they can have the relationship that they may desire? So, I mean, I think my, the first thing that popped into mind as you were asking, which is having a really good, healthy sense of self-love for yourself, I think is so important because if you and self-worth as well. They kind of go hand in hand. And I'm not talking about like love in like an egotistical way or anything like that. This is like a healthy sense of, I know that I'm lovable and I don't need someone else to prove to me that I am lovable. And I know that I'm worthy of being with somebody who loves who I am for the good and the bad. And it goes the other way too, right? If we can self-accept ourselves, we can then accept other people for not being perfect as well, right? But The difference there is when we love ourselves and we feel worthy, we're not going to settle or compromise and be something that we are not if we are coming from that place. So, you know, I would say if you're dating and you feel like you might lose yourself in a relationship, 
then you have more work you need to do on yourself first. Okay. Mm -hmm. No one should be losing themselves in a relationship. You can lose yourself in the experience of it, right? You can definitely, it's like when you go to the movies, right? You kind of get lost in the experience of the movie because you are observing the movie and you're feeling the feelings and the emotions that go with it as you're listening to the storyline or watching it play out on the big screen, but you're not losing yourself in that. Right. So staying really deeply connected to who you are, making sure that you are, you know, connected to, you know, the things that light you up and you're not compromising on that. I mean, we do have to make compromises in relationships, right? I mean, I'm not trying to say that you you need to <laughs> mm-hmm. control the relationship and do anything and everything you want to do and not consider your partner or someone that you're dating. But when we come from this place of knowing who we are. We don't want to settle for anything less because it feels really good. Once you know who you are, it feels so good being in your body and your in your own skin. And you're not ashamed. You know, there's no shame. There's no blame. There's no guilt. Like you've released all of that. And mm-hmm. it's such a beautiful unfolding when you can become you and have a relationship with somebody who can appreciate and value you for you. And obviously, likewise, the other way around. So I'm not sure if I actually answered your question specifically. I got a little deep there, but. (laughs) Okay. That's what we're all about. Deep, getting deep. How does codependency come into play with all of this work? Yeah, that's a good question. So um, codependency. So it's interesting because the original definition of codependency really centered around people who were in relationships with someone who was, um, you know, had a substance abuse issue or problem. Right. And so the codependent was, you know, quote unquote, the enabler of the person who had the substance abuse. Um, that definition has definitely evolved over time. And it's something that I think has become, um, a word that we throw around a lot more often. And I'm not sure if everyone understands what it means, but, you know, I can share with you like my definition of what codependence is and, We can even talk about people pleasing because there is a similarity there and there's there's a nuance in the difference. Um, But basically, like, you know, when we talk about codependency, it's really about where your happiness and your worth or value depends on somebody else. Right. So you are deriving your happiness or you're deriving your worth or your sense of lovability from the actions of somebody else. That's like where the codependency comes in. Now with people pleasing, like interestingly enough, because I want to, I feel like this is kind of like important because I feel like more people probably identify with people pleasing than being codependent and not all people pleasers are codependent, but all codependents are people pleasers. So that's an important distinction. Um, But with people pleasing, it's like, you know, it's where we're consistently compromising our time, our value, our energy to meet the needs of others. Um, With this subconscious expectation that when we do that, we're going to have our needs met in return. And that oftentimes over time doesn't happen because people start taking us for granted. And, Mm -hmm. um, you know, the, the people pleaser ends up getting, you know, not, I don't know about frustrated. They just feel like they have to keep trying harder and harder to win that person's love and affection and to keep them happy. Right. If someone else is not happy with them, that's like the people pleaser can't handle it. It's like, oh my God, someone doesn't like me. Like, oh my God, how, how do I, how do I, how do I wrap my head around this? I'm such a nice person. I'm always doing all these things. Like, I don't understand how could someone not like me? That's like the biggest offense for a people pleaser. Um, and for a codependent, it's also the same thing. It's kind of like, you know, oh my gosh, like I'm not lovable because this person isn't, you know, 
they're not valuing me or I don't feel appreciated by them. So, you know, I must not be worthy of it. And I'm, there must be something wrong with me. And people and codependents can get caught in this dynamic of, you know, there's like this drama triangle, right? You're either the fixer, the rescuer, right? The fixer or the rescuer, or you're the victim or you're the persecutor. And so those are like the three roles that we kind of go around in a triangle and the roles might switch from time to time, but the people pleaser oftentimes kind of very easily slides into that fixer rescuer role. That's the people mm -hmm. pleaser, the codependent people pleaser. Um, and then eventually over time, as their needs aren't getting met in the relationship, they move into victim status. Okay. The interesting perspective there is that, well, who's the persecutor, right? It's the partner that you're attracting. A lot of times people pleasers attract narcissists mm. because mm -hmm. at the end of the day, they both are trying to do the same thing. They're both trying to get their needs met, but the narcissist is only interested in having everyone else meet their needs and then persecuting when they're not right. Or belittling or whatever they're manipulating. Mm -hmm. People pleasing is like a covert manipulation where, you know, you're trying to get your needs met, but you're trying to give first in the hopes that you're going to get back in return. Whereas the narcissist is not giving anything, right? They're just expecting everyone to fall at their feet kind of thing. And they use their charming ways and grandiose grandiosity and all that to kind of attract people into that, um, into, you know, being attracted to them. <laughs> mm -hmm. So you said all codependents are people pleasers, but not all people pleasers are codependent. Can you, mm -hmm. so how would we know, like, what are the symptoms of being codependent? So it's, it's kind of really where, um, you know, there's, there's like toxic behaviors, right. Of codependency. Um, and we can talk about like the differences, but like, it is very slight in the, in, in a lot of ways. So like, in other words, health, there's healthy people pleasing, and then there's unhealthy people pleasing. So all unhealthy people pleasing, I would say have a codependent slant to them, or like they are codependent. Healthy people pleasing is where you are, you know, anticipating the needs of other people, right? You know what they want, you know what they need, and you're able to provide it. However, you're good at setting the boundary, mm -hmm. right? That's the difference with healthy, healthy people pleasing. Mm -hmm. You're setting the boundary of I'm not going to overgive or overextend my energy, my time, you know, my value or whatever to meet those needs of other people. But when I'm able to, I'm happy to, because it makes me feel good to help others. And it makes the other person feel good. And knowing that that other person feels good makes us feel good. Right. And that's healthy people pleasing. Mm -hmm. It's the unhealthy people pleasing that tends to be very, it's, it's basically codependent. And, and all of those are behaviors are going to be the same pretty much. So it's like, patterns. so someone that's in an unhealthy pattern of people pleasing or codependent, their happiness is depending on the validation from their partner or whoever they're with. Correct. Exactly. And then, you know, in an unhealthy pattern, the people pleaser again is going to, you know, lose sight of who they are, right. Cause they're trying to meet the expectations of the other person. So mm -hmm. they tend to, you know, contort themselves into these little boxes, make themselves small because they don't feel safe being who they are and all of their bigness potentially. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, so that they are accepted and they're not rejected. Um, the people pleaser is going to, um, you know, again, like not get their needs met in the relationship and they may not realize that right away. Right. That's something that I think comes with awareness over years mm -hmm. and years. Um, people pleasers are often going to be the ones that are going to be 
say they're sorry first in an argument, right? Just to kind of keep the peace, to make the other person happy. Um, mm-hmm. They're not going to make waves oftentimes. And sometimes, you know, maybe they will through more of like a passive aggressive type of comment, you know, that that could happen, right? Like, I mean, there's there's obviously extremes within the people, the range of people pleasing. You know, you're going to have the people that are very submissive, right? And then you're going to mm-hmm. have people that are, you know, maybe not aggressive, they're not going to be aggressive necessarily, but they're going to be like more passive aggressive. And that's how they're going to like let people, let their partner know that something's wrong, you know, or something's bothering them instead of feeling or having the courage to just state like, this is what I need. Yeah. You know? Do people with anxious attachment tend to be people pleasers? Is there a that's, relation there? That's a good question. Um, yeah, I would say so. <laughs> Definitely. Absolutely. For sure. Yeah. Um, because listen, people pleasing is a behavior that we learn in childhood. It's a self-preservation yeah. technique. Um, it's oftentimes when we have a parent who either is not meeting our emotional needs, right. Or who is, um, emotionally avoidant. <laughs> mm-hmm. Um, and so, or, you know, potentially maybe there's a sibling that requires a lot more of the parent's attention. So the parents are focusing on the emotional support of the child that's struggling. And then the other child kind of has to figure it out for themselves. And, you tend to then see the behavioral pattern of that child, you know, gets labeled as like very mature for their age. They're very independent, but it's often because they have learned they can't trust the adults in their life to meet their emotional needs. And so they have to now rely on finding other coping mechanisms of getting their needs met. And so the people pleasing steps in, you know, they're the overachievers, they're the good girl or boy. Um, you know, they're the ones who are, um, the helper, the, the help, you know, the helper of the family. Um, and so, you know, these things obviously play out from in childhood and then kind of continue into adulthood. And we're not always conscious of how that has happened or Mm -hmm. why it's happening. Everything goes back to childhood. It's amazing how, it plays into our adult relationships and just having that awareness, just starting with the awareness that you, we were affected in childhood. That is what is in our subconscious. And we have the capability of making changes because I feel like a lot of people don't even know that they're, we're capable of changing our brain. We're capable of changing our patterns. So Mm -hmm. if someone is experiencing codependency and they are relying on their intimate relationships to, to be happy in life, how can they start to work on that build so that they can have a healthy form of intimacy? Yeah. I mean, so really the goal would be to get from codependency to interdependence. And of course that's a long pathway. And, you know, I could, you know, sit here and be like, come work with me. (laughs) Like I can help you with this. Um, but you know, I would say the traditional route, a lot of people would initially take is probably working with a therapist through all of that. Mm -hmm. Um, but you know, one of my strengths that I, you know, have found, and this is because I've done my own work on myself is being able to see very clearly when I'm talking to clients, what the patterns are, and where the connections have been made between things that they've told me about their childhood versus what's going on in our life currently. And I'm able to see like, okay, this is tied to this. And this is why we need to go back to childhood, to your inner child. And we need to work on healing that first. Now, I've had clients who have dealt with significant trauma in their lives. And, you know, that is always something that obviously you would want to work with a licensed therapist to work through. 
That being said, there is a lot of scientific research out there that is pointing to, you know, having one significant trauma in your life is has the same impact on your body as a lot, a series of micro traumas in your life, right? So these little micro traumas that we experience as children with our parents, where we don't feel accepted by them, we don't feel supported by them. They're not making us feel emotionally safe, right? Or psychologically safe in some way, because they're overly critical potentially, right? Of us, or they were when we were children, Mm -hmm. you know, this series of micro traumas that happens has the same impact on our bodies and our brains as large, significant traumas. So I'm not trying to discount or take away from the pain that is caused from significant trauma in any way. But, you know, a lot of my clients, it's like they've dealt with some big things, but also a series of micro traumas. And so what I do with clients is we use a technique called emotional freedom techniques, which is an energy psychology tool, which literally helps to rewire the neural pathways, right? We are rewriting the limiting beliefs that got instilled in us in our childhood, um, and, you know, kind of reframes, you know, a lot of the conditioning that and peels away the layers of the conditioning that we've experienced in our lives that have pulled us away from our true authentic selves so that they can get back to this place of wholeness. Mm-hmm. Yes. And that's such a good point. I think it should be a wake up call to realize because a lot of people don't realize that they are carrying even micro traumas that happen just that that what we internalized as children of not feeling seen or heard or not getting our needs met, we are carrying that. And some people just really probably think, oh, it's not a big deal. Like it's not affecting me. There's no way. Or they don't, they just have no interest in even try, trying to remember that part of their life. And so I'm just, this is such a good point because you, this is what will make your relationships healthier. I'm curious how does this change our attraction pattern? So let's say someone's single and they start to do this work and they really start to heal their inner child, rewire their limiting beliefs. Will this change who they're attracting into their life? Absolutely. 100%. Because what happens is oftentimes we are attracted to the people that feel familiar to us. And if we haven't done this work, The dynamics, the relationship dynamics that feel very familiar to us are the ones that existed in our childhood Mm -hmm. with our parents or with, you know, a teacher or a a, a close friend or whatever. And if those relationships weren't healthy, then, then we are just attracting in unhealthy relationships now. So as we do this work, as we do the deep healing, as we get back to being who we truly are. And we come back to this, again, this place of good, healthy sense of self-love and self-worth and all those other things. We then start attracting in something new, right? We attract in these partners now that, you know, are um, where we can have these healthy, deeply fulfilling relationships. The other thing that's important is like, if you're not being who you are, how can you ever feel seen, heard, or understood or loved? Mm -hmm. Because if you're not showing up as you, Someone doesn't love you. They love the representation of the person that you're trying to, you know, be for them instead of really being who you are. So if you're not being who you are when you're out on a date or when you are in a relationship, you're never going to actually feel truly loved, you know, on a on a cellular, soulful level. Mm-hmm. So it's so important that, you know, we get back to that. So that we can attract the people that are not 
again, filling the holes, the void within us, we're finding the people that we actually truly enjoy being with. Because listen, at the end of the day, committing or getting into a committed relationship shouldn't feel like pressure, right? It should feel like a choice and a choice that you make every day that you wake up, that you choose to be with that person. Not that you need that person. You know, yes, of course, you you would like to desire that person, right? But if you are in a relationship because you feel you need them for something, Mm -hmm. that becomes over time an obligation. And obligations are not sexy. (laughs) You know, when you feel obligated to somebody else, like that intimacy is going to go up in flames. Like it's just, that's it. It, Intimacy is done. It's dead. Mm -hmm. Whereas if it's a choice, if it's a conscious choice, then guess what happens in the relationship? Curiosity blooms. And when you get curious with your partner on a daily basis to get to know them better and to explore and experience new things together, that brings you together. That makes a deep connection. That creates memories and that creates a bond. It's so it's so important, everything that you're saying and all of this work. It's, oh, it's, it's everything that I preach as well. But I'm curious, do you have people that experience a healthy relationship and they feel bored? That's a good question. Um, I think if you're feeling bored, it's most likely that you're no longer curious, right? You've lost that creativity. You've lost that curiosity. Because listen, at the end of the day, it's like, you know, even in long-term marriages, you might feel like you know every single thing about somebody, but you know what? Honestly, we're constantly growing, evolving, and changing. And so is your partner. So if you are no longer trying to get to know how they think about certain things, how they feel about certain things, and you're not having those the communication, I think we get bored when we stop connecting with people, right? And so if you are choosing your partner every day and you are constantly trying to connect in a deep way, you're communicating and you are experiencing things, it's like, how can you get bored with life? I mean, that's like basically saying you're bored with life. Like there's so Mm -hmm. much you can do and experience and explore in this beautiful world that we live in. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. Which is why it's so beneficial for couples to do this work together, for them to keep evolving together, because we will not stop evolving just as soon as we get into a committed relationship. We're always going to be learning about ourselves. So, of course, we're always going to be learning about our, our partner as well. Exactly. And I think that when, you know, when we get bored, that's kind of like when we're stuck and that's when we need to hit the reset button Mm -hmm. and, you know, start to reevaluate. Okay. Like, why are we stuck? Is it because I'm stuck and I'm not growing? Right. Or do I feel stuck because I am growing and my partner is not. And so then, you know, becomes a bigger question, right? So it's like, oftentimes if you are in the right relationship, right. With the right person, And, you know, I don't believe that there's only one person for everybody. So I just want to kind of put that as a side note. But um, if you're with the right person, if you're doing the work on yourself, then what's going to happen is most likely they're going, your partner's going to notice that you're changing and that you're evolving, right? And they might look to you and be like, wow, like you are in such a good place. Like, I'm so proud of you. Like you've become this, like you've almost like flowered, right? Like, it's like almost like watching like a bud open. It's like, wow, like you were just radiating this light and this love and joy, right? Because when we reconnect back to ourselves, like we do, we just reconnect back to and reclaim that joy that lives within us. 
And so what happens is it, it becomes like a motivating factor for your partner, hopefully, right? To also start doing the work on themselves, mm-hmm. right? As you're starting to ask yourself questions, ask your partner those questions too. Mm-hmm. Hey, I had this experience when I was a child. Like, did you ever go through something like that before? Right? Yeah. Just start a conversation. It's so simple. Just start a conversation. Get curious. I think that's so helpful too, because I feel like a lot of, especially women are doing a lot of self-work, a lot of inner healing. And I hear, I hear often they wish their partner was, was doing this work. They wish they they feel like they're outgrowing their partner. So it's a good reminder to lead by example, to lead, do your own work and the right partner will follow the right partner will choose to grow with you. Um, I think that's, that's such a good reminder. So if anyone's listening and feels like you're having these thoughts that you aren't alone, there's many, I've talked to so many people that are in that position. Yes. I would love to switch gears and talk about human design. Okay. Because it does tie in. You said you use it, you use it with your clients to really build this relationship with themselves and do the, this work. So how would one get started by looking into their human design and working on themselves? That's a great question. So first, I think I would just like to explain for your audience in case they aren't aware what human design actually is. Perfect. Um, Okay. So human design is this um, beautiful tool that really is a blend of five ancient wisdoms. Um, It's the blend of Eastern and Western astrology, the Chinese I Ching, the Jewish Kabbalah, the Hindu chakra system, and then also quantum physics. So it takes basically your time um, your time of birth, your birth date and the birthplace. And it basically, you put it into, I'll, I'll give you the system I use, which is geneticmatrix.com. You can literally go to geneticmatrix.com, enter this information and you will get your chart. Now the chart is going to look like a lot of different shapes and colors and lines everywhere and all these different, you know, all this terminology that you may not understand, but you know, a good place to really start if you want to get to understand who you are is looking at the foundational pieces of it, which is your type, your strategy, your authority, and your profile. And I'm going to kind of break down what each one of those are very quickly so that you guys can get like a little bit of a taste. I'm not going to go through each one because it'll we'll be here forever. But mm-hmm. your type, there's five types. There's five different energy types. And basically what that shows you or tells you is how your energy kind of works in the world. Like, are you here you know, do you have access to consistent, consistent and reliable life force energy, or do you not have access to that? And then how do you, are you meant to kind of use your, how are you meant to get your energy and use your energy in the world? Then we have your strategy. This is how you are here to, um, essentially interact with the universe, right? How do opportunities come your way? How do relationships come your way? Um, how are, you know, maybe experiences meant to come your way. That's what your strategy sort of indicates or what will tell you what it'll tell you. Then you have your authority. Your authority is how you are here to now respond to the universe, right? It's how you're here to make big decisions about those things that are coming into your world, into your sphere. So, um, you know, I'll just give you an example. If you are a generator type, you are going to have reliable access to consistent life force energy or consistent access to reliable, uh, reliable life force energy. Um, you're, strategy is going to be to respond, right? So you're not here to initiate anything. You're here to be in response to the world around you. Um, and there's nuances around that. Um, if you are a pure generator, it means you are here to basically follow what feels good in your gut, 
right? Is it a full bodied yes or is it a full bodied no? That's what's going to give you a very good indication as to what is right and aligned for you. And then there's your profile. And your profile basically will tell you kind of like what is the role you're here to play in this world, in this lifetime. So if you were to look at like a script, it's like you're getting a very good idea of like what your character role is in, you know, this movie or this lifetime. Um, And the reason why I use it with clients is because I can very quickly look at a chart and understand a lot of things about a person just by looking at it. Um, I am a level four certified human design specialist. I trained with Karen Curry Parker. She teaches quantum human design, which um, if you've ever looked at any traditional human design language, it can be feel very low vibe. Um, Karen has rewritten all the language so that it feels like it's a higher vibration, a higher frequency kind of language. It's more uplifting. Um, but with everything like in the chart, there's a high expression and a low expression, kind of like astrology too, if your listeners are familiar with astrology. So human design can really give you a very good snapshot as to how you're meant to make these big decisions, use your energy, um, what your natural talents and gifts are, which I think is really important, especially if you are someone who may be struggling with purpose or meaning. It's like your purpose, first of all, is to be you. And that is true for all of us. Okay. That is your ultimate purpose. Your purpose isn't necessarily the job function you're meant to have. However, understanding what you're naturally good at can lead you into how you want to express that in a job, right? Because, you know, we're not here to struggle necessarily. We're here to do the things that that excite us, that bring us joy, that light us up. And if we can do that by playing on our natural talents and gifts, it should be easy for us in some ways, right? Um, and then also it can, it, there's aspects of the chart that can show where you might have a propensity towards codependency, for example, you know, or where you may be stuck. I can look at someone's chart and then in a conversation with them, I can start to understand what may be holding them back. So it's really, really, really helpful. And if you've never had a human design reading and you're interested, let me know. I, I can obviously do it for you, but, um, you know, find somebody if you don't want to work with me, that's fine. And have your chart read because honestly, it is so validating. It literally gives you the permission slip to be who you are. Mm. Hmm. Yeah. If you want your mind blown, go have a a reading done. What part of their chart would help us lead to finding our purpose or yep. genius zone? Yep. So, um, okay. So there's like a few things, um, obviously like there's different aspects of the chart where I can look at and I can be like, okay, like you have this, this energy in your chart that, you know, you have a lot of teaching energy in your chart, right. Or you have, and, and of course, like you might have more than one of these things, but like you have, um, a lot of energy that shows that you might be really good at math and science, right? Like that's just like, your mind is very focused that way. Um, or it's designed to be that way. Um, you have a lot of healing energy in your chart, right. Or you have a lot of, um, this embodiment energy, which is really something that's like a, a, like a sign for um, maybe someone who teaches yoga or who's a dancer or who is a chiropractor, you know, or who's like a, a Reiki master or whatever. So like there's different aspects of the chart where you can kind of denote like career markers, so to say. Mm-hmm. Um, but then also just like looking at your incarnation cross, which, you know, we're getting a little bit more technical, but that's literally like the top um, two gates on the right and left-hand side of your chart. And of course, like we don't have a visual where I can show you and point out what that is, but your incarnation cross kind of gives you like the plot outline of what you're here to do. And so understanding that can take time to understand how you're meant to use that as part of your genius. 
But once you kind of play around with it, and I also do a lot of gene keys work as well. The gene keys are a phenomenal tool. They go hand in hand kind of a little bit with human design. It's all the human design gates, but at a very deep, more much deeper contemplative kind of way. Um, so I highly recommend that as well if anyone's interested. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, so I mean, your genius, yes, it's in your chart. You know, can I tell you right off the bat where exactly it is? You know, it's really kind of looking at um, even just the overall life purpose, which is going to be all of the gates and the planetary positions in which they sit, that's going to help you define that, define it. I mean, it's gonna, it can point the the chart points to what some of like your struggles are in life, right? Like, what is the what are the themes of the struggles that may come up for you, kind of over and over again? And if you've done any kind of personal development work, you may have seen this happen, right? Like the same thing kind of maybe comes up again and again. You're like, oh my god, it's this pattern. For me, it was people pleasing. I'm like, oh my God, it all goes back to people pleasing again. How is this possible? And it's just like, that's something that I really needed to spend a lot of time healing and working on. And the universe only brings us little bits at a time that we can actually handle. Because if we were to see the whole iceberg, we would get overwhelmed and most likely go running in the other direction. So we just get these little like snacks of it, you know, or little snippets of it that -hmm. we can handle at a time. Um, so the chart, you know, definitely if you're going to study your own chart, um, it's a process and you can go, there's many layers to it. And the deeper and deeper you go, the bigger and bigger, you kind of zoom out and see the bigger picture over time. Mm -hmm. So having someone who's experienced and able to read that for you so that you get that without getting fire hosed and overwhelmed is really, um, you know, an important thing to do as opposed to going to someone who's just going to like regurgitate all this information and you're like, oh my God, what does this mean? It's so much. (laughs) There's so many layers to it. I'm kind of just getting into it. And I knew one day I would get obsessed. I just knew it was right up my alley, but I was kind of waiting to crack that door open. Uh, But recently it happened and um, it's just fascinating. And like you said, it's so validating because we are designed in our own unique way, we're designed perfectly. And when we're trying to be someone that we're not, we're going to experience, experience friction in our lives. And so it's really to have the, to get in the flow of life and to get in the ease. I think ease is one of my top, top design words. I don't know all the terminology, as you can tell, but it's just, it's fascinating. So I love that you use that with your clients. I think it's, you explained everything so well. So if you're listening, go look up your chart today, just crack that door open and and get a little bit curious about your design. It's a great place to start your self discovery journey. Yes. I even have a free ebook. If you want to kind of understand more about your, um, your energy type, at least just to kind of get like a little, your feet wet. And then, um, I also have like a human design 101 course available on my, on my website. So if anyone was interested in doing that, you can. (laughs) Amazing. Well, as we're wrapping up, I do like to ask a fun question at the end. And I would love to know what advice you would give your younger self about dating or love or relationships. Yeah, that is such a good question. I love that question. Um, Honestly, what would I say? I would probably say, Make sure you find yourself first before you get into a committed, serious relationship. Um, you know, I I really feel very strongly about how important it is to really love yourself 
first before you start loving somebody else so that you don't lose yourself in the relationship. I mean, that for me had been something I did time and time again in relationships. And so it's really important that you know who you are, you love who you are, and you accept every part of you, the good and the bad, right? We have the positives, our strengths, and then we also have our flaws and our shadows and embracing and being all of it and loving yourself for it, knowing that you're worthy of love just for being who you are and that your purpose is to be who you are. And you're doing everyone else around you a disservice if you're not being yourself. Amen to all of that. (laughs) So where can our listeners connect with you? So you can very easily find me on Instagram at Carissa Step. Um, that's one R, two S's for Carissa, and then Step with two P's at the end. Um, I also have a website, CarissaStep.com. Um, and if you go to the link, even in my bio on Instagram, you can find my link tree where I have um, a bunch of resources and stuff if you're interested. So amazing. Well, thank you so much for being here. It was lovely to talk with you. I feel like I could pick your brain all day because you have, are just a wealth of information. Um, so go check out Carissa's Instagram and her website. She has so much, so many offerings on her website. So head there and thank you all for listening and we'll talk next week. Bye. Bye.